You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Well, a sober confession is a week ago Friday, I was laid off from my job. And in these seasons, we're in the book of James and we're talking about trials and we're talking about difficulties. And I'm even in this passage today talking about being slow to anger. And the Lord says, well, let me give you something to try that out with. (laughs) And even thinking about the, the time that I've spent in ministry and the time that I've walked through people with difficult situations and I've called them to trust in the Lord. Here's a real tangible opportunity in this season for me to be a doer of the word, which is the passage that we'll look at today and finding uh, calmness in trusting in what the Lord has for me, even in the midst of the confusion, maybe the anger that I have to work through or the difficulty of what's gonna happen next. Really having an opportunity to find uh, rest and trust and dependence and be a doer of the word. James is a, a, a great writer. If you haven't noticed, if you haven't read through this entire book yet, read through the entire book. I know we did on that first Sunday, but if you haven't since then, um, James is a great writer and I'm not really into movies. Who's, in, who's into movies? Anybody like I'm a movie, I'm a movie person. I'm not really into movies because they're predictable. I like, I watch it. I'm like, this dude's going to do this. This person's going to do there. They're going to kiss and make up at the end. And it's going to be all good. Right. I told that to my sister yesterday. She was like, you should watch horror movies. And I was like, nah, I don't, I don't think I really want to do that. But in a movie scene, we have the rising action, we have the climax, and we have the falling action. And I want to bring us to consider the climax of the book of James. If you just turn over to chapter three. And the climax in a movie is usually this crux where everything kind of breaks down. The, the problem's kind of really hitting their top point and you start to see how the movie's going to come to its end. And for us in the book of James, James has this really this peak of the entire narrative. And it's in chapter three, verse 13, where it says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As you we reflect and continue to walk through the book of James, I encourage you to look to this passage because it really does sum up everything that, book, that James talks about from the beginning and the end. And it centers on this reality of wisdom. And again, James being a masterful storyteller we can kind of get caught up in this trap where we look at James 
and we look at all of the wisdom that he's giving us and we just want to soak it in and we forget or we're tempted to forget that James is drawing upon the wisdom of Jesus. James is drawing upon the wisdom of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can come to the book of James, we can come to the book of Colossians, we can look at the book of Ephesians, and we kind of think about James and Paul writing in those books like John Perkins writing One Blood. And we kind of use it as this supplemental material to understanding more about the Christian faith. And that would be a, a, a wrong way to walk down the road of looking at the book of James, but rather understanding that James is drawing on all of the rich teaching that Jesus gave in his life and ministry on earth. That as we walk through the book of James, we should be able to pick out echoes of Jesus' voice in what James is saying. But our, our temptation is, is oriented that way because we're really good at making little little idols for ourselves, little gods for ourselves. And we begin to pursue holiness rather than the one who is holy. We begin to pursue, what does it look like to work and do what Jesus has called me to do instead of looking at the one who has finished the work that needs to be done? And so we want to look and read and consider the book of James in light of all of who Jesus is. We want to pursue becoming a doer in light of who Jesus is. And I hope as we walk through our passage this morning, you'll see a little bit of how that connects. Jesus is only mentioned in this book two times. He's mentioned in chapter one, verse one. He's mentioned in chapter two, verse one. But we have to be careful to listen intently for the teaching of Jesus. And that kind of requires something of us, right? We, we got to know what Jesus has said. We have to know what Jesus has taught. So there are two teaching of Jesus I want us to listen to for to, uh, listen for today. If you have your Bible, I mean, if you want to turn in your Bible, you can to Matthew 22. In verse 36, the word of God says this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. I hope you hear those words of Jesus throughout what James is calling us to do today. That you would hear this reality of love God, love people being the, the simple truth that James is calling us to, echoing the words of Jesus. And even he says here, Jesus says, on these two commandments, loving God and love people, the whole law, all of the things that the law says rest, ultimately find their sitting place. You can boil down what we read in the law to either loving God well or loving your neighbor well. And I hope that we see that today in James. The second one is in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, in verse 24. It's the end of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came 
and the winds blew and you got laid off and beat on the, on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and you got laid off and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Keeping those two things in our mind, this reality and that crux of wisdom and Jesus saying the man who is wise, the woman who is wise will build their house on the rock so that when the winds come, when the rain comes, it's going to stand. And James is calling us to do the very, very same thing. Now we got to pick up back in James chapter one, our understanding of the the passage that we're going to look at today, which is 19 through 27. We got to jump back a little bit to verse uh, 16. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And that word deceived is a, is a key word that James kind of draws throughout. But do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now that last verse there, 18, is really important as we walk through the rest of the book of James, because it speaks about our identity in Jesus. That if you are transformed and saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are a kind of first fruits. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a hopeful thing to remember our identity in Jesus. Because after this, James lays down some really, really challenging admonitions. But if we are thinking about those admonitions that we're going to look at today and that will come in the rest of the book, and we don't remember our anchor point here, we'll end up being people who are pursuing a bunch of doing in our flesh. But remember that the doing that we do is wrought out of or brought out of this reality that we are first fruits in Christ, that we are renewed and restored in him. And in that relationship with him, in that restoration with him, you are able to do what he calls you to do. We have to rest there. We can't blow past that. Nothing that I will talk about this morning will make sense if we blow past that. Because we cannot do anything that James is asking us today to do without that reality being true. Without us resting in that reality that, that in Christ you are renewed, restored, and you are a first fruit of his creation. And because of that, in Christ, you have the ability to do what James is going to call us to do. We operate out of that reality. Is everybody good with that? You understand what I'm saying there? Good. The blank stairs, you know, I'll, I'll check in, make sure we're live for a little time to time. It's cool. And so we want to operate out of that truth, realizing that we have a good God who gives perfect gifts and he calls us to live in a certain kind of way. And James jumps right into that. And the rest of the book is these admonitions on how to live, these admonitions on how to walk in Christ. And we jump in first with this, verse 19. Know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? 
Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So we operate out of this reality of knowing what Jesus has done for us. And the first thing and really the outline for much of the book is these three things being slow to speak. Being quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And we could follow those points throughout the rest of the book and you could categorize certain certain things he says under each one. But the first one, if you're a note taker, first point I want you to write down is this is to receive the word. Receive the word. So he says that this is the call that we should know this, that every every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And through the passage we're going to look at today, he breaks those down kind of backwards. He starts with being slow to anger. And this anger that he's talking about is not necessarily an outburst or a fit, right? Jesus goes so far as to say, that if you have hatred in your heart, what have you done? You've murdered your brother. And so a lot of times, right, we, we think that it's only the children that throw temper tantrums, right? But in our own hearts, we have these moments and we have these times of anger. And anger is probably something that all of us sitting here today wrestle with at one degree or another. Anger at Someone for doing something, someone for not doing something, anger at how something went, angry at that, that, uh, the, the game that happened, right? Our anger can get petty sometimes too. But he says, being a person who is really transformed in a part of the first fruits of God is one who is slow to anger. Why? Because that anger that we walk in does not produce righteousness that belongs to God. But how often, how often is our first reaction, the knee jerk thing to do is to provide justice in the way that we think it needs to be rendered? If you're me, it's often, right? And we, we identify what the problem is. It, it makes our flesh feel some type of way. And we pursue what we would say is righteousness by our response. Now get this, our response might be passive, I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm just going to pull away for a little bit. I'm not going to engage and try to restore something here. I'm going to not give them them myself. I'm going to withdraw from the situation. Opposite extreme would be you blow up and you flip a table over and you break glass and you do something like that, right? But neither one of those responses produces the righteousness that belongs to God. I want us to flip back to Colossians just to remind ourselves of where we've been this year. Colossians chapter three talks about this reality of of anger and even gives us a picture of what some of that righteousness that we are supposed to put on looks like. Colossians chapter three, if you guys remember in verse five, it says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, 
malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And put on then, this is the picture of the righteousness of God that we should pursue. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Now, if you're like me, the moment anger picks up in my heart, compassion's like the last thing I'm really thinking about, right? Am I alone? All right, I'm alone. It's cool. (laughs) But put on compassionate hearts. Humility, meekness, patience. Again, just words that aren't on the tip of my tongue when I'm angry. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Hold, hold on. Hold on. You're telling me that the righteousness of God, the righteousness that belongs to God, would, would walk towards forgiveness and not wrath? Uh, no, show me, show me. How is that true? Well, let's keep reading. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Dang, he did do that, huh? <laughs> he did do that, huh? Huh? So you must also forgive. But realizing this is not a natural thing. This is not a human response. This is a godly response. This is a a wisdom from above response. But that wisdom that is from below is earthly and demonic and would pursue a fleshly end to something that we feel has been done towards us or that is wronged us in some way. But let us not forget the words in Colossians that we learned from earlier this year, right? This wasn't years ago. This was six months ago that we were looking in this book. Now that God calls us to live in this way that imitates the righteousness that belongs to him. I keep saying it that way because it's important. It's not the righteousness that belongs to us or belongs to somebody else, but it's the righteousness that is defined by what God has called righteous. And if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, can't really think of the last time that I took anger into my own hands and dealt out my own form of righteousness that it really ended well for anyone. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away, put away, put off and put on, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive, receive with meekness the implanted word, that word implanted there is a, is a really deep and strong word. It talks about the permanence of something being rooted and planted. Receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, that phrase there, this idea of saving your soul is a little bit confusing in the context because James is, James is addressing beloved brothers. So we're kind of walking through, does he mean saving your soul? So it's this righteousness of God that is in the midst of anger and anger is wrong in my flesh. But if I respond in the righteousness of God, it's going to save me. It can get a little confusing there. And the reality is here, what, what, what James is actually saying is it doesn't mean salvation um, in the proper sense of how we think about it. 
Although, as you come to learn, if you don't know Jesus and who he is, and you begin to learn about his righteousness and what he calls you to, entering into uh, repentance for, uh, of, to salvation for the first time is what God would call you to do. And realizing and recognizing that this is what he calls you to is able to save your soul, that implanted word, the word of God. But this word here could be um, maybe translated in this way. That which provides the power to save your soul. That word there is the word dunamis. The word the, the, that sometimes we say you got the dynamite of the Holy Spirit, right? Don't do that. Um, but it's the same word there. It's power. It's power. So it's this reality that this implanted word, this word that is rooted in you is the, the word that, ha- that provides the power to save your soul. And it's a reminder of more the powerfulness of the word. A powerfulness of God's word, which provides the necessary truths that we come to understand for salvation and subsequently sanctification. The, the way in which we continue to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. And even as we think about the things and the trials that might come our way, the, the good and the bad that comes in life, all of those things God is using to make you more like Jesus. All of them. Not a single one is not used by God in your life to make you more like Jesus. Every single trial, every single situation, every single thing that we encounter in this life is God using to make us more like Jesus. Question becomes, am I letting him do that? Am I submitting to his word to actually transform me into the perfect image of his son? Jesus being the only perfect human that ever walked. And it is his word that he uses that we as we implanted in our hearts that begins to uh, that gives us the power to walk in the salvation that he's called us to has the power to save our souls. Now, that's the same for you if you don't know Jesus for first faith. And that's for all of us who do know Jesus for continuing faith, that we come back to his word each and every day, moment by moment, hour by hour, if necessary, to walk in a way that proves that we know him and that he is working in us. So we want to receive the word. It's a little question that I want us to consider Does the word of God find a home in your heart? Does the word of God find find itself comfortable in your soul? When someone is coming with a, a gentle correction from the word of God, does the word of God find room in your heart to be welcomed? When you're reading the scripture and you come to a passage that says, you're that man. Does it actually sit in your heart and say, how am I that man, Lord? How can I return to the, the place where I'm, I'm right with you? Or does it not really find a place in your soul? Does it not really find home and, and a desired shelter in your heart? Now, that's not just true for an unbeliever. We as believers can become so embittered or callous towards God's word that when we receive correction from it, it doesn't really have a place in us. It doesn't really sit with us or move us towards greater uh, transformation in Christ. And so just considering that as we think about repentance this morning, maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come here today and, and the word of God doesn't really feel implanted. 
The word of God doesn't really feel at home in your heart. You're kind of agitated when you come to it or you don't want to really walk in, in, and submit to what it says. I'd encourage you to consider to place that on the altar of repentance today. That you would lay that before the Lord's feet and you would walk in the newness that he allows us to walk in. So we consider receiving the word and next we want to look at this part where and we're going to consider responding to the word. Verse 19 back in James. Know this, my beloved brothers. Rather, sorry, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looked intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, if we're familiar a little bit with uh, the book of James, we come to this passage and we, we might be reminded of this debate between uh, Paul, who in Ephesians says that salvation is a, is a work of God. There's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to save yourself. And that's absolutely true. And we get into this debate between Paul and James. Was well, James really saying the same thing? That is it really the action and the doing that really proves that you are saved? And I would say this debate is, is a, a thing because we miss the point of both Paul and James. There really is no debate here. These two things are not incongruent. This reality of God working and God calling us to respond to what he's doing and the responsibility we have to walk in line with what his word says. Those things are not incongruent. And so James admonishment here is, is be doers of this implanted word. The word that is supposed to have residence inside your heart. Don't just read the scripture and say, okay, great. Got my proverb a day in. The devil's going to stay away. I don't really need to do anything after that, right? It's just going to work itself out by itself. No, he says, do it or read it. Let it be implanted and respond to what the word says. So I'd even say this morning, as we're reflecting on this passage, being a doer of the word would be to say, okay, man, I did kind of blow up at that person last week. How could I go and restore that relationship? How could I go and be found, uh, 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 be uh, apologetic and come and restore that relationship? So James uses this little illustration. Now, I, I had to think about this because I have a mirror really nice mirror. It's big. It's in my, my bathroom. Got another mirror out in the other bathroom. Got well, my iPhone. I can turn it around. I, you know, I got the glass on the back. I can kind of see myself, right? We just kind of have mirrors to look at ourselves all the time, right? They didn't really have that back then. A mirror wasn't the same convention that we have, right? Ladies, some of you guys got a mirror in your purse right now or your bag. It's not something that we just kept in our pocket. And even at that, it wasn't something that was high definition and polished like we have today. And so realizing that, that the mirrors that they had were, were polished metal, they'd be able to see it. It wasn't a super crisp or clear picture. And so them looking at themselves in the mirror and walking away and kind of not really remembering what they look like wasn't that far-fetched of a reality. But I think sometimes when we come to this passage, we focus on two things. We focus more on 
the mirror and we focus on the forgetting. We focus on the mirror and we focus on the forgetting. But I want to have us consider today that there's a, a different word in there that's actually the crux of what James is talking about. And in the ESV, it is the word goes away goes away. Maybe your Bible says depart. For he looks at himself in the mirror and he departs and at once forgets what he is like. He departs or goes away and he forgets what he is like. If you're standing in front of a mirror and you're looking at yourself and you see where that pimple is and you kind of want to pop it, but you're like, it's going to be red. I got to go to this party. I don't really want to do that. Right? No, nobody else. Okay, cool. Cool. I'm alone today. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. If we're standing in front of that mirror, if we don't leave, we're able to see where it is, right? It's there. We're able to inspect it. We're able to look at it. We're able to, con- to, to, to see what we need to do about it. But the moment you look away, you might be like, oh, where is it? Oh, there it is. Right. You kind of got to got to move around and feel for where it is or even back in their day. Right. They wouldn't have been able to see themselves that clear. So they would have the best picture of themselves if they remained at the mirror. They remained at the mirror. So this picture of a doer of the word is one who not forgets what the word of God says, but departs from the word of God. He forgets because he departs. He forgets because he departs. And I feel like a lot of times, and I know I'm guilty of this, my, my striving and my, my uh, desire is to try to not forget. I want to do everything I can, all the mnemonic devices I can bring, all of the memory passages I can have to not forget what the word of God says. And my striving and my effort becomes not forgetting rather than remaining and not departing. Rather than remaining and not departing. Now, what does that look like? There's a beautiful reality that when God saved uh, his body, he, he gave us a command to not depart from one another, right? There's this reality that you need the body of Christ. There's this fellowship and this community and this beloved group of people that Jesus has shed his blood for And they are a tool in our lives for not departing. If we think about our connectedness to the body of Christ, it's often when we're distant from the body, when we're isolated from the body, that temptation and trial and sin really, really crowd its head up. When we're disconnected, not only from the word of God, but also the body of Christ, when we're isolated and alone, when we depart from the things that God has provided to us to walk in his righteousness, that we begin to let sin creep in and take over. And so this picture of this mirror and looking at your natural face in it is less about what you look in the mirror and more about the reality that you need the mirror. Your need for the mirror is so great to show you where you're weak, to show you where you need to walk in God's righteousness and not your own. And that happens, yes, absolutely, amen, through the reading of God's word. He does that and can meet us here, but he also does that through the body of Christ. 
He does that as you engage with your brothers and sisters. He does that as we walk in step with one another. So we want to consider that. Do you spend time? And we look, we see that there in verse 25. I hope that as we read that, it makes a little bit more sense. But the one who looks into the perfect law and James uses these words, perfect law, the, the, the implanted word. These are all synonyms. They're not different facets of the word of God. Um, they, it's the same word that he's talking about, just using different. I said he's a masterful writer, right? He's, he's uh, changing up the words that he's using to describe the word of God. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. And so the question is, for us today, in this moment, right now, what is God calling you to do based upon what his word has called you to do? What is God calling you to do as you sit in your seat right now, or you're watching on Zoom, what has God called you to do from his word that, or even the gentle admonishment from a brother and sister in Christ, what has he called you to do that would walk in step with his righteousness? And again, it's so fitting that we're here today on this morning to think about repentance because we have a, a real opportunity to draw our hearts and engage in that now. And the last thing that I want us to consider is to obey the word, to receive the word, to respond to the word as it calls us to live rightly and then to obey the word being quick to hear. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And we don't have time to really unpack a whole lot there. And James chapter three will do a lot for us in unpacking this reality of the tongue. But James calls us to be slow to speak. And he says, if anyone thinks he is religious, but does not temper his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Being quick to speak, not being slow to actually hear what needs to be responded to. And then he goes a step further and defines even what is what is pure religion? Pure religion is, that is undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Love God and love people. Did you catch it right there? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction when they are broken, when they're going through things. It's not after things are settled and perfect and they're, they got their, their stuff in order and somebody else took care of all that stuff. And then you're like, hey, I just wanted to check on you. How you doing? <laughs> but in their affliction, in their mess, in their dirt, that you would be the one to go and sit with them. That you would be the one to walk with them, to love your neighbor as yourself. And to keep yourself unstained from the world. That means you're walking in God's righteousness and not your own. So there's a lot for us to consider this morning. There's a lot for us to consider this morning. Like I said, James chapter 3 will speak much more on the tongue. So we'll save that passage to really unpack that reality of the tongue. But today, I want us to walk away thinking about this question. How... Well, am I loving God and how well am I loving others? 
how well am I loving God and how well am I loving others? And to lay those things on the table today as we continue to consider this reality of repentance, to continue to lay those things that are hindering you from loving God well, whether that's your own sin and anger or it's someone else's sin towards you that you're allowing you to be removed from your pursuit of righteousness in Jesus. And again, how are you loving others? That person that might be bothering you or that, that uh, relative that you need to call and say you really love them. How does that work out where you are today? And consider that as we continue to think about repentance this morning. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful that in Jesus, there is a way of restoration. We are thankful that in Christ, we are able to have a way of salvation, as the word said, that you don't leave us alone, that we we could be pointed out and say we are that man or that woman as, as Nathan did to David, Lord, but we also know there's a God on the other side waiting to receive us. That we have hope in Jesus to be new creatures, new creation, and we can walk rightly in him. And you've given us a body, a body of believers who have also been transformed, who are also just as a mess as we are, Lord. And together we can hold each other up, walk with one another, share and bear one another's burdens to live in light of what your word has called us to. Give us that power. We thank you for your grace in Jesus name. Amen.